0: I'm so glad you guys have joined us this morning, especially if you are a Georgia Bulldogs fan. If you are here and you're a Georgia Bulldogs fan, I won't make you raise your hand, but I'm glad that you came. Um, We have a Tennessee fan in the youth group, so I told her I would say something. Uh, She's happy. I know most of us in here are probably not happy, but I'm I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, If this is your first time with us, my name is Todd Cooper. I'm the student pastor here, and um, we are in the middle of a series called Life Without a Net. And we've taken the last few weeks, and we'll take a few more after this, exploring this idea of faith. And I think that many times this idea of faith um, within a, a religious context is really this mystic idea that's far off, this, this, this idea that's hard to, to comprehend, hard to grasp, um, something that we just kind of, you know, we learn the lingo and we, <clears throat> we say what we need to say, and, and many times maybe it's just me, <clears throat> but we don't necessarily understand exactly what it means to have faith. And I think it's important that we understand and that we explore this idea because the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so what is it about this idea of faith that we should understand, that we should know um, what's our role in uh, in, in faith and how much do we have? Do we need to have a certain level? What is this whole idea of faith? And uh, one simple way to, to maybe give you a, a, a short idea or a little idea of what it is, is if I were to have a chair up here, it, it does take a measure of faith for me to sit down in that chair simply because I can't prove that it's going to withstand my weight. I can't prove that it's going it's to be able to hold me. But, you know, in that instance, through experience and through maybe seeing other people sit in that chair or myself sit in that chair, I, I have enough faith that... I can sit down in that chair and I, I don't have to worry about it. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the confidence of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, not just wish for, there's a difference between wishing and hoping. Wishing is just, it, it's, it's very surface level. Hoping is, is you put your hope in something that, um, that, it, that is legitimate. And so it's the assurance of things hoped for, it's a conviction of things not seen, and sometimes um, faith does take a lot of, of maybe blind blindness and blind faith. We, we often think that we have to ha- uh, know nothing about what God is calling us to do, that we have to completely step out and have no idea what's going to happen. And that's faith. And sometimes da- God does call us to that. Sometimes God calls us to have faith in something that maybe we can have a little bit more confidence of, maybe from what he's done in the past. But um, th- that's, that's faith sort of in a nutshell. And we're going to explore today, as we have the last few weeks of of what this faith looks like in the life of individuals in the Old Testament and what we can learn and what we can do as a result. Where does faith play a role in our lives? And so um, I don't know if you enjoy American history or world history um, or maybe even church history as much as I do. I enjoy church history. I'm not as crazy about history, but church history is my thing. And um, in our nation, uh, um, about 1700 in the 18th century, beginning of 18th century, there was a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Edwards, who I believe without John, Jonathan Edwards, our nation would not be what it is today. Obviously, with the Lord working through him, and the Lord's work, but Jonathan was faithful. And Jonathan at a young age, as a teenager, had an amazing experience with God in which he moved from a, a place of attending church his entire life and his, his father actually being a pastor to a place in his life where it became real and he fell madly in love with God. He fell madly in love with Jesus. It was no longer just a tradition of coming to church and saying that he's a Christian and living a good life. It became real for Jonathan Edwards. And he pursued a, a lifelong calling into ministry. He married his wife by the name of Sarah Edwards. And there's so much to the story of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. But God used them to start something that we call the great awakening in our nation. And in a time of, of, of absolute um, disunity, of, of coming over from Europe and starting um, the, this new nation in New England, out of complete, just utter, I mean, they had to step out in complete faith. They had no idea what was gonna happen. Um, Jonathan and Sarah, out of their faithfulness and their love and their trust in God, God used them to start the Great Awakening, and I believe it has shaped and has changed the nation that we live in radically today. And there's a lot about the Great Awakening, but even more specifically, Jonathan and Sarah had an influence not just on their church, not just on their town, not just on our nation, but they had an influence on their children. They left a legacy, and that's what we're going to talk about today. They left a legacy with their children, and um, and, and someone in the 20th century, the beginning of the 20th century decided they wanted to look back into the the Edwards family. And they wanted to see what this legacy looked like because Jonathan and Sarah made it a point to pray and to trust God for their children, for their children's children, and for future generations. They were very intentional about praying for the generations in their family that they would never see. And so this man in the 20th century did a research on the, the Edwards family, and he tracked down as many of the direct descendants of the Edwards as he could. And there were hundreds, there were over 1,000 direct descendants. And this is what he found. He found that the legacy that they left, part of the legacy that they left was that there were nearly 100 doctors, there were several dozen university presidents, there were several dozen CEOs of gigantic companies, successful companies, there was a vice president of the United States, and the list goes on and on and on to prove that Jonathan and Sarah left a legacy that has greatly impacted the world that we live in today. And so, this morning, we're going to talk about how do we leave a legacy? How do we live a legacy in in our children's lives? And maybe if you're in here and you don't have children, that's all right, because you have the opportunity to, to leave a legacy in the place that you work, in the place that you go to school, in the neighborhood that you live in. And I believe that God has called us to leave a legacy. Even more so, I'm going to go to the extent of saying that this really isn't a message for those who want to leave a legacy. This is a message to say that you will leave a legacy. The truth is it's not a choice whether, we, whether we'll leave a legacy or not. The truth is that you and I will leave a legacy, good or bad. We will leave a legacy in those who are around us, in our family, in our coworkers, in our community. We will leave a legacy. And so I think it's important to see how do we leave a legacy that is worthwhile. How do we seek God and how do we find these answers and what do we need to do in order to leave a legacy that God has called us to live in a legacy that will outlive us. And that maybe will even change this nation like Jonathan and Sarah Edwards did. And so this morning we're going we're gonna to jump back into Hebrews. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 11 and, and keep it there for just a second. Hebrews chapter 11, which is considered the, the hall of faith. And it's, it's called that because Hebrews 11 is all about faith. And it's a chapter that, that walks through several of the, the prominent figures in the Old Testament and talks about where they expressed their faith, how they expressed their faith, and what the result of that was. And so we're going to look at a few from there. But before that, um, before we get into that, I, I believe that it's important to point out, I think in our nation, especially in our nation, and I think in our world, um, we've been convinced of something. We've been convinced that to leave a legacy, specifically in our children, or maybe the people around us, but to leave a legacy means that, that maybe our children, they do well in school, they're nice to others, or that uh, they're successful in sports, or that they do well in the, the play or the drama they're in, or they get scholarships to a college, or they go to the college of their dreams, that they finish their degree, that they get married, that maybe in that meantime, that you know, they don't throw their life away, they don't um, get into debt, maybe they graduate debt-free. We believe a legacy is you know, that they don't catch an STD in that time, that they don't get pregnant too young, that they don't get someone pregnant too young, we believe the legacy is that they, if they, they live a successful life, if they get married and, and they're happy and they live in a nice house and they're comfortable, that that's a legacy. And I think that we've been convinced of that. But I think that we've been deceived. I believe that we've been deceived because I believe that's a disservice. If we, if we push that upon the people around us, that that is a legacy, that that's what you should strive for, Again, I'm not saying these are bad things and, and, and follow me, but if that's what we push, I believe we're doing a disservice to our children. We're doing a disservice to the people around us because that alone is not a legacy. That alone is not a legacy. Because the good grades, they don't bring hope. They don't bring life. The success, the sports, the attention, the, the big comfortable house, the cars, the successful marriage, those don't bring hope and those don't bring life. It's only Jesus that brings hope, and Jesus alone that brings hope. And if we push all these different aspects of this world, and we push all the success, and we push all these things that we see on TV, that if you just do these things, you'll live a legacy, and your children will be happy if you can give them an inheritance. And yet, when they go off to college, we're shocked, or we just don't even care that they walk away from the church, they walk away from Jesus. That is really not a priority to them, that maybe they put on the back burner and we think that we've left a legacy, I think that we've been deceived. I think we've done them a disservice because only Jesus brings hope. Only Jesus can truly bring a legacy and leave a legacy that really matters. And so this is something that, that maybe for some of us it's hard to hear. And for myself, I grew up in a, in a very successful family a very uh, comfortable lifestyle my dad was an aerospace engineer. He was a rocket scientist. My dad was a rocket scientist, literally. And, and when I told him I wanted to be a youth pastor in eighth grade, when I felt like God had called me to youth ministry, he said, uh, are you sure? Are you sure? Because I, when I put my mind to it, I, was, I did very well at math. I did very well at science. Uh, it's just I didn't really put my mind to it that often. But my dad, my dad knew that I had the intelligence. I had the drive when I wanted to, um, to do well. And my dad said, are, "Are you sure? Are you sure? You're not going to make much money. You know, it's 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 going to be tough." And and for a few years, it w- there was tension in our household. There was tension from from my father, of "Are you sure? Are you sure? You need to do these things." And and eventually, eventually things change. And I'll share that in a little bit. But that's not the legacy my dad left with me. That that is a portion. That is something. That is a a a period in our life in our life in our relationship. But that's not the legacy he left with me. He left something much greater, and I think Hebrews 11 talks about that as well. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, this is what it says. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was, it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, "...from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of, his sons, uh, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones." By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And so we look at four different characters, I believe four of the most influential characters in the Old Testament, four characters who we would not be here today without four characters who helped usher in the kingdom of God. And we look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and we look at Moses, and and it talks about the faith that they expressed, the faith that they showed and the result of that. And the result of the faith that they had in God was that it changed the face of the world. It It changed everything that we know. Because they demonstrated a faith that eventually, not just ushered in the the nation of Israel when Moses crossed over and took over the promised land and Joshua helped set up the promised land. We're not talking about just a great nation. We're talking about a nation who eventually saw the birth of Jesus by the Virgin Mary, who, who lived a perfect life, died a sinless death, and was raised from the dead because of the faith that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses demonstrated. And, and the this, this story of Abraham, of him um, almost sacrificing his son, is, is something that I have wrestled with for a long time, and it's and, and something that's still not easy to digest, and it's something that when I talk to others who, who maybe are skeptical about um, Christianity and what the Bible teaches, they often bring this up, and I understand, because now that I have a son, what father in the right mind would even consider for a moment taking their son's life? What father in their right mind would take their son's life? And, and we think, we kind of discredit the story, at least maybe I'm just speaking for myself, we discredit the story because we think that there's no father that would, that, that would do that. This story is not real. Abraham surely just not, didn't wake up and thought he heard God say, hey, go sacrifice your son. He said, all right, sweet, let's go do it. We'll go, we'll go do this. But no, one of my professors in, in, in seminary pointed this out and it, and it brought so much Uh, to light for me is that the the walk between where Abraham was and where he would sacrifice his son took two to three days and surely during those two to three days the bible doesn't necessarily record emotions as much but surely during those two to three days this was the son who God had promised Abraham and he said this is the son who I'm going to bless the entire world through I know, Abraham, that you're nearly 100 years old and your wife is as well, and that you have been trying for years to have a child and you can't have a child, and I've finally blessed you with a child, and now I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham took this journey up to the mountain. And if you've seen um, the, the series the Bible, um, Abraham surely was thinking to himself, What am I doing? What am I doing? There's surely many times where he probably wanted to turn back, and he had no idea what to expect. He had no idea what to expect, but at whatever, it, whatever it was, he decided, I'm going to put my faith in God and know that God is faithful, and I don't know what it's going to look like. Maybe I won't end up killing him. Maybe I will, and I have no idea what lies before me, but my main priority, my main focus is, is on God and what God wants me to do, and so I'm going to put my faith in him, and so I don't know how he got to that point, but he got to that point and God intervened obviously, and Isaac was not sacrificed, and this legacy continues, and Isaac, I believe in that moment, was able to see, yes, my father loves me, but he loves God more than anything. Yes, he could have said no to God and raised me to be a good man, raised me to be a great um, you know, owner of the livestock and a great um, you know, owner of our land, and he could have raised me to be a great person, but what he thought was more important was his faithfulness to God. And he trusted that when he was faithful to God, that this legacy that God had promised would work itself out. I don't know how it's going to look, Abraham probably thought, but I believe that I'm faithful to God, that he'll work this legacy out. And that legacy is continued in Isaac, it's continued in Jacob. And it says that when Jacob was, was at his last few moments in life, he was blessing Joseph's sons, basically his grandchildren, and he's leaning over his staff and it says in the last few moments of his life, he was worshiping God as he blessed his grandchildren. I know that's probably not the last thing I would do. I, I, hopefully it would be, but you know, if I, I would probably be, hey, you guys need to make sure you do this, this, this. This is, you know, this is how you're going to get the inheritance. You know, this, is, this is all the important information you need to know. But he said he ended his life by bowing over his staff and worshiping God before he, before he breathed his last breath. And then you have Moses. Who Moses, he, he's the second in command basically of all of Egypt. The greatest nation at that time. He was second in command and he had everything. He had everything. And God's people lived just a few miles away outside of Egypt, and they were slaves. and yes, they were mistreated several times. But surely Moses could have thought to himself, "Well, I'll stay in this position. I have the ability in this position to have more influence than if I were to walk away from it. So you know, I'll help pass some laws, and I'll encourage the Pharaoh, and maybe one chance I'll be the Pharaoh, and I can you know treat them well. I can go down and um, you know every so often and sneak down in there and make sure they have food and make sure that I'm encouraging them, but for whatever reason, God called Moses something else, and Moses said, I'm going to give up all these pleasures. I'm going to give up everything that is in front of me. And God, I don't know what's going to happen because you're telling me to go in a direction where there's a big sea in between where you want me to go and where we are. But Moses said, God, I trust you. I trust you. And God provided. And God began a legacy. Began a legacy that would eventually, as I said, usher in the Savior of the whole world. Wouldn't have happened if they stayed in Egypt. Wouldn't have happened if Moses said, God, I believe in you. I I love you. I trust you. But, man, I got influence right here. I I know you can use me in this position. No. He said, God, you want me to do that? I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And so I, I mentioned that my father, that's not the legacy my father left. It didn't. Take more than a couple years, maybe maybe a year or two. And my something changed. I don't know what it was, but something changed. And, and now to this day, my dad is one of my my biggest fans. He encourages me all the time. He he has um, taken up hobbies. Um, he works for a nonprofit that that helps the to help people to understand how the Bible and science. They really agree with each other, and, and he sends me all these things, and, and he's always praying for the students. He's always sending me um, resources to use in student ministry. My dad is one of my biggest fans, and that's the legacy that he has left and is going to leave with me. Not the legacy that for a moment he encouraged me you know, to, to second-guess it, and really, I wouldn't even say that because I believe my dad would have been a bad father if he didn't. He would have been a bad father if he didn't say, hey, let's take a step back and, and consider this, but now, when he now that he knows that this is what God has called me to do, he's my biggest fan. He's my my biggest support, and that's the legacy he's living. And that's a legacy that is has being lived out through me, and it'll be lived out through my children. Is that my dad wanted wanted everything. He wanted me to give everything to God. He wanted to give everything in his own life to God and say, God, I don't know exactly what's going to happen with my son's life. He he might not make the money I made. He might not be as successful in the world's eyes as I was, but God, this is what you called him to do. I'm going to trust that. I hope this morning that that each of us in here, whatever context it is, whether we have young children, whether we have no children, whether our children are in middle school and high school, whether they're grown out of the house, maybe you have no children, and maybe it's in the context of your school, or your work, I hope that we understand this morning that, that you will leave a legacy. And I believe that it's not about coming up with a checklist of what we need to do, in order to leave a legacy because there's tens of thousands of books on parenting. There's tens of thousands of books on how to be a better person and then to leave a legacy in the place that you are. But I believe all of that means nothing, absolutely means nothing if we don't completely fall in love with Jesus and give everything we have to Jesus, put our faith in Jesus because those things, those, those will be a result of us loving Jesus. Jesus says in John, John chapter 15, he speaks to his disciples and he says, if you just abide in me, if you spend time in my presence, if you love me, if you seek after me, I will abide in you. And I will change your heart. I will change your attitudes. And I will give you wisdom on how to parent. I'll give you wisdom on how to be a friend, on how to be a coworker. And if you want to leave a legacy, you just simply spend time with me. We make, we make life so hard sometimes. We make life so hard when we we just want to know, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Just tell me what I need to do, and I'm going to work on this. I'm going to make habits, and I'm going to wake up each day, and I'm going to make sure I do all these things every day. I'm going to tell my children this and tell my children that. And if I just do that, then the legacy will be left. We make life so hard sometimes. We make our walk with God so hard sometimes when God, all he asks for us to do is to put our faith in him and say, God, I trust you and I love you with everything I have. I know a family right now who, who one of their sons has spent 12 years running or, or, or I would say running from God. 12 years running from God. It has, it has wanted nothing to do with God. And over the 12 years that the parents have, have remained so faithful and have remained so loving and in the hardest moments have loved God with everything they have and said, God, I don't know exactly what you're doing right now but I'm going to love you, and they continue to love their son. And after 12 years, right now, this this son is beginning to come back to know Jesus, is beginning to seek God again. And it wasn't because the parents put a checklist together of, I need to do this, 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 and this. They said, God, however long it takes, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to give you everything I have because I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. And so I know there, there, there's probably some of us in here who, maybe you think it's too early to start a legacy. It's not too early to start a legacy. Maybe, oh, maybe my children are too young. It's not too young. They're your children not too young. There, there's even other people around you who maybe you can begin with. Maybe you think it's too late to start a legacy. Maybe you think you have messed up too much as a parent. You've messed up too much as a friend or a coworker. There's no hope. Maybe you think your child or your friend is too far gone. Let me encourage you that that my grandfather, who I never met, uh, and because I never met him, I always enjoyed asking my dad growing up about my grandfather and what he was like. And um, you know, he was a veteran after he after he served his time in World War II. He he got out and he worked as a in the post office. And he's a funny guy. He worked in one of the first clothing stores in Denver. Every time we drive through Denver, my dad points it out. It's not a clothing store anymore, but he points it out and. And uh, there's a few things that really stick out though, and one of them is this is that my grandfather, for the majority of his life, although up until just a few years before he passed away, was, a, was an out of control alcoholic, was a raging alcoholic. And he had verbally abused his wife, my grandmother, he had verbally abused my father and my aunt. He had at times physically abused, he had basically in essence, abandoned the family. My grandmother stayed faithful and remained married to him, but he would come home and, and really want nothing to do um, with the family many times. And, and it seemed, everything seemed like it was going in the direction of this is a legacy he was gonna live. And just a few years before he died, God did an amazing work in my grandfather's life. And he, he, my grandfather gave his life to the Lord. He got involved in AA. He fighted these addictions to both alcohol and to uh, chain smoking. He got baptized, and he, he fell in love with Jesus. He fell in love with Jesus. He knew about God. He believed in God. He went to church every so often, probably more regularly than, than most people but he fell in love with Jesus. And the legacy that he left with my dad and the legacy he leaves with our family is that he loved God and he gave everything to God and that it wasn't the alcoholism that, that won. It wasn't the chain smoking. It wasn't any of that, but that all that mattered to him was Jesus. And all that mattered to him was that, that he spent time in God's presence. And because of that, my family has has done an amazing job of loving God and loving me and I believe that legacy began with my grandfather who knows what it would have been like if he died as an alcoholic as as not trusting in God what it would have done to my father and what it would have done to our family who knows but he fell in love with Jesus my parents loved Jesus I love Jesus I try to love Jesus as often as I can and i and I pray and I hope that in this room that we we understand that this morning if we want to make a if we want to make a lasted legacy in our children's life, it's not about the sports, it's not about the grades it's not about the success look all those things are awesome and and we should hope for those things but if we if we seek all of those and we put Jesus on the back burner or he's just another drawer and, and this big dresser of things then then we've, we've, we've done a disservice to our children. We've done a disservice to those around us. And so I encourage you this morning, maybe you're in the spot of, I believe in Jesus. I don't know if I would say I'm madly in love with him. Maybe you are crazy in love with Jesus. Maybe church is a burden for you. If it is, I pray this morning that God gives us a, a fresh revelation of who he is so that we fall in love with him, that we can't wait to get into our word. We can't wait to lead family devotions. We can't wait to talk, about our child, or talk, talk to our children about who God is. And whether they listen or not in that moment, trust me, God is just calling us to do one thing, is to love him, and he'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest. And so oh, I encourage you, you might not think your children are listening to you, and we are, trust me. There are so many times my parents spoke things over me. So many times they did things in my life that in the moment I gave no attention to. My mom, I remember every single day she dropped me off at school from, from elementary school all the way until I got my license. She would drop me off at of school and she would pray over me before I got out of the car. She'd put her hand on me, she'd pray over me. And for, for a long time, I, I mean, I almost rolled my eyes just, oh, here we go again. And she eventually stopped doing it. She, you know, she didn't want to force anything on me. She eventually stopped doing it. And it didn't take more than a week. And, and for some children, it might take longer. It might take years. But it didn't take more than a week. And I said, hey, mom, are you going to continue praying over me? And she continued to pray over me. And I encourage you. I encourage you. Don't focus on, on, on the results. Don't focus on what's happening in the moment. Focus on one thing, and that's loving Jesus and giving everything you have to Jesus because he will do what he needs to do, he will do what he needs to do, and so I'm going to pray, and, and, and after I pray, we have an opportunity to, to seek God, and to, to express our love towards him, and maybe, maybe the worship at the end of each service has maybe been a burden to you in the past, maybe it's, oh, this is my opportunity to get out and get the great um, table at, you know, where we're going to go eat brunch, but take this opportunity to say, God, you are everything to me, God. Maybe maybe your family is a mess right now. Maybe your family is doing great right now. Maybe your your, um, co-workers or your your classmates are on either side of that spectrum. Whatever it is, this morning, take this opportunity to say, God, I give you everything. I give you all that I am, and I love you, and I trust that whatever you're going to do, you know what's best. God, we thank you this morning. God, we thank you that... That you are in control, God. We thank you that you love us the way that you do, God. And God, myself, and God, and I, I, I speak probably for most of us in here. God, forgive us, God, for not giving you all that you deserve, God. I know so often I am, am so self-absorbed, God. I'm, I'm so self-dependent, God. But I pray, God, that we turn our eyes back to you. Every single morning we wake up, God, and we, we give everything we have to you, God. We fall back in love with you, God. We fall madly in love with you, God, and that as a result, our children, our, as a result, our coworkers, our, our classmates, begin to see that there's something going on inside of us. And God, whether it be in the moment that they, they step out and say, what is it? What is it? I want what you have. Or whether it be years down the road, when they finally come to the end of themselves, and they finally come back and say, Mom, Dad, I want what you have. I want what you have. God, I thank you for what you're gonna do and what you have been doing through many of these parents and and many of these, these students, God, many of these coworkers. God, I pray that you continue to work, God, because you, God, you love us. God, you want, God, to be in control. You want everything, God. You want everything that's a part of our life, God, and you want to be able to, to take it and to do as you need to do with it, God. May we give it to you. May we have the faith to trust that you, God, know it's best. Amen.